This week's episode is brought to you by literally nothing. It just showed up. Nobody knows how. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like them apples, Gilmore? And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph House, and you're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for March 28th, 2016. Coming up on the show, keeping it a little on the short side in honor of the Avalanche season doing the same. But before we play the whoosh and look at what's left of the, th- of the season, allow me to introduce my fellow disembodied voice. Joining us again from BSN Denver, it's Cheryl Bradley. Hey, Cheryl. Hi, how are ya? I'm doing all right. Been better, been worse. Quick announcement before we run it down. No, the Avalanche aren't mathematically eliminated yet, but with the playoffs looking just out of reach, I want to hear from you. Head over to milehighhockey.com and leave us a comment on this podcast post. What would you have had the team do differently this season? Be specific, be vague, say when, I don't care. Whatever you wish the team could have done differently, and we will use your responses in the show either next week or the week after. We'll see. But... The past week has been tough for the Avs, who are still without Matt Duchesne and Nathan McKinnon due to knee injuries. After a three-day break, the Avs fall on Thursday to the Philadelphia Flyers 4-2, despite having had a third-period lead at home again. There is an empty net goal in there, too. Nick Holden and John Mitchell scored for Colorado, and Varlamov made 41 saves as the Avalanche wasted an outstanding first period. What happened? (laughs) um first period was so good yeah yeah you know i i I, you know i i i'm so at a loss as to what's what's going on and i i know that there are a lot of people out there that um argue that losing matt deshane and nathan mckinnon is not why they were losing that game or why they're you know, have been losing since they've been out and all that kind of stuff. And and while I agree, there are other problems with this team. Losing those two players affects them not just on the ice. I mean, they're not the lines that they're icing. I mean, you're playing Mitchell in in ways that he he isn't successful. You got to get him back into that role where he was successful or earlier in the season. You're 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 putting too much responsibility on him. Um, and that's true. It goes all the way down the line. But even off the ice, the the mental factor that goes into losing your two top forwards has got to be, it has to be that, that trickle of doubt in the back of their minds, you know, without these two guys, we're not going to be able to win this game or it's going to be so tough. Even just putting it in, it's going to be so tough to win this game already creates that visualization where it ends up being tough you know, tough to lose that game, tough to win that game. And that already puts it in their mind, I guess is what I'm saying. It's like, you know, baseball players, how they talk about they visualize themselves hitting the ball. And if they start talking about don't miss the ball, then they're more likely to miss it. That whole creative visualization thing. I think I think there's a bit of that in play here. I'm reminded of 24-7 Leafs Red Wings, the Detroit locker room, Jimmy Howard, doing his, uh, whatever his visualizations are, where he's just, like, waving his hands around frantically. Right. Yeah, I didn't see that, but that, but that is that, that, that ideology. Oh, it's, it's and... hilarious. If you can go find a clip of that, you should. Because <laughs> it's, during an intermission, like, 
every time they have the cameras in the locker room during intermission, Babcock is talking hockey, and Howard is just sitting there. Looks like he's in a just in another realm. He's got his eyes shut. He's just blocking shots. <laughs> that's I mean, that, but that's that that's creative visualization, and then it works wonders for some people. Um, Helping him keep I, his that's focus. That's hilarious and stuff. that he's doing that while Babcock is talking, and now I must go find a YouTube video of that because yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things about one of the blandest series of 24-7. Yeah, I, I stopped watching 24-7 after the first one, so I didn't even see it. Because mm -hmm. there was that moment and the toaster incident and a whole lot of boring. Although, yeah. oh, Phil Kessel saying good one, Randy, was decent. <laughs> so, um... So what's your take? What happened? Well, uh, they they had every opportunity to win that game. They played really well while it was tied, and then uh, the lead happened. And if you watch the uh, the shot graphs, it just it dips immediately. They were something like plus sixteen at that point, and then they scored and then shelled up, started playing not to lose. And maybe it's a like it's a combination of their normal sort of bend-don't-break system that they can't but try to employ when they're ahead. And what you're talking about with, like, okay, we've got one. Let's protect the hell out of it. Right. And then they, and, they Yeah, couldn't. and then it becomes don't give up the next one, don't give up the next one, instead of get that next goal, get that next goal. And so then they end up being both mentally and physically on their heels. Right. And then they get another one to break the tie in the third, and like, all right, now we just got to hang on. And yeah, there you go. That's what you that's know, what I think happened. But that's the very very general what happened. I mean, you know, I I know that I'm I'm probably in the minority here, but I don't think that they played that great of a first period uh, against the Wild as it, as it was yesterday. I, I just I think that. They, they, this, the last 10 minutes of that period was a lot more, it was a lot more solid, but that they were running around so much in that first, the first five, eight minutes was all emotion and adrenaline and there wasn't cohesion. And I just, I don't think it was the greatest period. I don't, I don't know. I, they turned it around. The beginning of the game was, yeah, it was rough. It was when they stop playing hockey and start playing the body, um, they, they were fortunate not that, uh, that the officials finally called a penalty that calmed things down. And right. they really took over the game after that for a good 15 minutes. Um, but I mean, if we're going to talk about the Minnesota game, let me read the thing. Um, it was a must win game against the Minnesota wild as everyone knew it was to close within a single point with a game still in hand at the, uh, the abs promptly pissed away that opportunity into the sun. Falling 4 nothing, two goals for Parisi because, obviously, uh, 31 saves for Varlamov. And from what I saw, the lack of Duchesne and McKinnon hurt more in this one. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I think they had a hard time generating offense to actually get chances. Quality shots on net. They, the um, zone entry, the power play. I mean, just the power play in and of itself. That's when I really saw... Dan, we really needed 
Duchesne and McKinnon in that because of their ability to to work the half forwards, to be able to maneuver. Um, the Wild was doing such a good job of, of clogging up lanes that passing was so difficult in those power plays. They needed guys who could maneuver within a, a phone booth in order to get plays created. And, and without those two guys, it just, it just doesn't happen. They had Tyson Berry that could do that, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I and and, mo- and on the power play, you really want Tyson on the point. You right. don't want him pinching down because his his weapon is is that that just beautiful wrister from the point that f- snakes its way through traffic and makes it in, and that's what you want from him. You know, and you've got he's the only guy that can can maneuver like that. That just isn't. It, it makes it a very um, anemic power play for sure yeah despite a lot of shots and chances early by the time uh parisi finally scored on the power play it was a hefty shot and uh total shot advantage for the avalanche um but it, it really never felt to me like dubnik was much challenged no he wasn't having i mean there were a couple of of you know really good stops but for the most part it was pretty pedestrian and, and and one of the things that i found so ironic is because and and that i noticed that and i don't normally notice shot quality um it's just not something that i that i pay all that much attention to but in that game i did because so many of the fans like every single time he made a stop it was doob you know in you know in the arena and i'm like that was the easiest stop ever you cannot get all excited that's that's almost disrespectful to him to sit there and cheer when he makes a pedestrian stop and so many of of his his saves were pedestrian because they weren't very you know wicked shots they weren't they weren't deadly and there there wasn't much movement to set them up either he was Mm -mm. always in position because there was Mm -hmm. no passing and nobody who could skate through the defense i mean ghost bear is Pretty pretty good player, but no one, I don't think, will argue that Minnesota has a worse defense than Philadelphia. So that's why losing to Philadelphia hurt so much more realistically, even though the loss to the Wild hurt much more emotionally. True. Very true. The, the Philadelphia game was much more winnable without 9-29. and Yeah, well, they should have won it. That's a game that they should have won, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can tell my normally optimistic self, and I am, you mentioned earlier, I normally am a very optimistic person when it comes to this team, and I have lost all optimism. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to see why with a quick look at the standings. Uh, As we sit today, it is Sunday afternoon. Um, Minnesota have 85 points, and Colorado have 80. There are five points to make up. There is one game in hand to do it. So Colorado need to win pretty much everything. Yep. And they do that against Nashville twice, St. Louis twice, (laughs) Washington, Dallas, and Anaheim. Yeah. Meanwhile, Minnesota still have games against, like, Ottawa and, you know. Yeah. Which is which is why, uh, you know, I'm calling it right now. They're not that that 
they're not going to make the playoffs. I think that, you know, people, including myself, you know, said yesterday that the, that the loss to Minnesota was the nail in the coffin. I actually think the nail started to get hammered in with that, the Philly loss, and they just, you know, it just got flush with the rest of the, the wood yesterday. It just got pounded all the way in yesterday. Right, but I think, I, yeah, it, I think it already started in against Philly. Once they lost that game, I thought, and the, the manner in which they lost it, I thought they're, it's just, just done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree with that mostly. Um, if, <laughs> if, if they had found a way to win on Saturday, then it would have been a one point advantage for Minnesota with a game in hand and their schedule is a lot easier than the avalanche remaining schedule, but it would have still been quite doable if they win a bunch yeah. of games. Yeah. It would have, it would have been doable, but I just didn't think it would happen. You know, I yeah. doable. Absolutely. But likely, nah. No, they they totally did what they needed to do to bring themselves back, um, and then this week happened. Yep. So it's unfortunate. Uh, Chris Mason made too many saves. Yeah. And uh, and that was that. But I I was very resigned going into the game on Saturday. I figured that it would be pretty miraculous to come out of there with two points. Yeah, agreed. I, I was hoping. That's the I still had hope. Now that hope has been dashed and destroyed. Rip. <laughs> so Miko Ranton and back to San Antonio. As well he should. Yeah. As well he should. I think that it was great to have him up there. I think we got to see even more I I I, I absolutely believe that being in San Antonio was the right thing for him this season. Yes. I think that he showed some maturity, some growth since uh, the beginning of the year when he was playing in the NHL and next season, he is going to be a force to be reckoned with. He looked much more dangerous in the last three games um, yes. on a line with freaking Cody McLeod and Jack Skilly. Uh, but then, imagine- then he did on Soderbergh's wing at the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's in that time in San Antonio is what did that. He mastered the North American game. He discovered that he could take over games. He really began to solidify his understanding of who he is in North America as a hockey player. And um, and I just watching the last couple of games, I just think, God, what could he have done? if Wah had taken that chance and put him on a better line. Um, had Duchesne and McKinnon be there, been here, then probably we would have been, had a better chance of seeing that. But then, of course, he probably wouldn't have been playing had they still been here. But Probably not. But still. It was fun. He was the most enjoyable part of yesterday's game. He was watching. interesting to watch. He, uh, he showed a little bit of power in his skating that he didn't necessarily have back in October. Um even if the strides were there, the strength didn't seem to be. Right. Um, so hopefully he's able to uh, head back down to San Antonio with that experience from the la- from this week underneath him and uh, continue to grow for throughout the end of the year. He's uh, pretty much the best player on a bad team right now. So. Yep. He's fun to watch. He that is. is. For sure. And he should have scored. He was so close. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Had an open yeah. net with a sharp angle, and he puts it on, and it goes off a of shin pad. Yeah. Piece of shit. 
<laughs> but that's, you know, that's that's the abs in the net in a nutshell lately that shoulda woulda coulda. Mm-hmm. Almost there, but not quite. That's yeah. not yeah. quite good enough, but get a chance to be, but can't quite get it. Yep. Yep. That's that's a pretty good look at the season right there. Um, speaking of call-ups, we've got some more news that just broke about 15 minutes ago as we record, so it'll be old hat to you guys as you listen. Uh, Nathan McKinnon and Matt Duchesne are going to miss the next two games. Uh, I don't know if they'll miss any more than that. I, sus- I If it were up to me, I don't know if I would bring them back if Avalanche lose both of those games, or even one of them. Agreed. Because don't mess with a knee injury. Shut them down. Yep. Uh... But in their place, we're going to see Andrew Agazino. Ags. Good to see him back. Um, yep. And we're also going to see on the back end Nikita Zadorov. Hello. Yeah, well, that's going to be that's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see see him back out there. Um, I he has all year struggled with the same thing, and that's consistency. Some some nights, some plays, some periods. He's this this phenom and then other times you're shaking your head saying what the fuck are you doing um so it'd be good to see what he does with this opportunity this time has he found a way to solidify everything and and find some consistency be interesting um probably hasn't had the time to develop that too much Um, well you know but that's if coming back now there's gonna be less pressure because Especially, you know, if they, they all recognize and accept playoffs aren't going to happen. He, it's, it's, he's going to be able to come in and, and play a little bit more for fun than, oh my God, I've got to make sure that they, you know, that they, that I help them make the playoffs. There's going to be less pressure and it'll be interesting to see what happens with less pressure. Yeah. While saying the right things to the media, he's saying the never say never stuff, but I, I think calling up uh, Zadorov and Agazino today is kind of a GG move. Like, yeah. you've, you've talked about how much you are wanting to reward and trust guys like Redmond and Bodnarchuk for whatever reason. And, <laughs> and now we're going to add Zadorov to the mix. Well, that means one or both of them aren't getting in the lineup. Right. So. And especially interesting after just a couple of days ago, you know, Wa was saying he had no intention of recalling Zorov. Yeah. And now, oh, look, he's there. After a significant loss, I, you know, I think that there's a recognition by the team that that yeah, this is, this, it's a near hopeless thought to be able to make it into the playoffs. Like you said, mathematically possible, but realistically, uh-uh. So, um, shall we change directions? Yes, let's do. Who else might the Avalanche organization add shortly? Well, um, given to been following the um, NCAA tournament. and Which you should do if you have the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, you guys, it'll be post-news by the time you guys listen to this, but um, DU is... Um, Hitting up, they 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 made it through to their their through their first game, and they are tonight Sunday um, at five p.m. Eastern. So right after we get done with this, I'm going to be watching it. Um, they are playing against Fair State. Fair State is doing um, is on a roll right now. So um, 
it's going to be a tough, a tough battle for Dew to win, but they can definitely do it, especially considering they rolled over Boston University last night, seven to two. I mean, just dismantled them, and it was a, a shutout. Um, it was God, they were two zero by the end of the first, four zero I think it was by the end of the second. Um, the two final goals came at the towards the end of like about halfway through the third period, and then the last one came. 17 seconds left in the game or something like that um, for Boston. But uh, Will Butcher got two of the goals. So Avs prospect Will Butcher got two goals for DU and um, was all over the place. Was could very You could very well argue that he was um, the MVP of that game. Um, he, he was just fabulous and DU looks really strong. So they very well could go all the way to Frozen Four and even getting that championship. Unfortunately for another Avalanche prospect, JT Comfer, Michigan got ousted by North Dakota yesterday. And while that's unfortunate news for Michigan and Comfer, that should be considered great news for Avalanche fans because it appears the Avs are going to move him to pro this year and he's done with his college experience because he's going to join the abs um aj was talking to greg sherman yesterday at the pepsi center um between periods during the game and uh sherman seemed to make it pretty clear that they wanted comfort to join the team sooner rather than later so you might expect to see JT Comfer wearing a an Antonio or San Antonio Rampage jersey as of next Friday. Hope it gets done that quickly because there's not a lot of games left in the season, and the more he gets, the better. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and even just to get in, get his feet wet, get an idea of of you know what it's like is going to be fantastic. Um, to do that, he has to sign a PTO with the rampage and the minute he signs a PTO, he's no longer eligible to play college hockey. So it's a big decision. Uh, I don't think that comfort is going to say no. If the abs come calling and say, Hey, we want you to, to go pro at this point. Um, he dominated this past year. He had a fabulous year. Uh, and it's, it's really time. It's time for him to, to make that transition. I know that uh, Cole was really excited for JT Comfer when the trade happened. He became an Avalanche property, you'll, you'll all obviously remember, from the Ryan O'Reilly deal, <clears throat> a.k.a. the zadorov Grigorenko deal. So um, he's not somebody that a lot, of, uh, a lot of fans have heard anything about. I know I hadn't known much about him. Um, so it's been cool to see, just to kind of follow him a little bit this year and see that he's been doing quite well, even if his team did lose to... Uh, the North Dakota, whatever it is they're called now, <laughs> in the in the tournament this year, very early. Right. What, what right. are they called now? I know they uh, they had a racist I name no that idea. is now gone. So. I have no idea. I know that one of them was like Nodax. Like, give me a break. <laughs> Here, wait. I could fight it. North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Fighting Hawks. Okay. That's their new name, the Fighting Hawks. Interesting. North Dakota are always. Right up at the top of the college hockey yeah. game, so no but, shame in dropping know, to them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely no shame. Um, 
But I do think that in addition to Comfer, another person that we might watch to see if he joins the team, joins the organization is Will Butcher. I know that the Avalanche are extremely high on Butcher. They love him. They love his game. And uh, and talk about dominating the guy has has just had a phenomenal season. Um, he has always been an offensive defenseman, but this last season he has improved um, his defense enough to where he's been a staple on the penalty kill and a very uh, good staple on the penalty kill. Um, Du is known for having um, a a good defense, especially one that that jumps into the play and is very active, and that you know works right with Wolbacher's style. Uh, so I would not be the least bit surprised if Du does not uh, go through and make it to to the championship game. If uh, Butcher joined, I would not be surprised if he he joined the rampage as well. What uh, what class is he? He's a junior this year. Okay. Um, Denver area fans have been pretty lucky to have an opportunity to go catch some DU hockey games and watch uh, watch Will Butcher develop there if they have been so inclined. It's not very often that you've got a real homegrown prospect like that if you don't live in the uh, Toronto area. So, cool. I know that you guys have caught <clears throat> a lot of Denver games this season and uh, been able to go have a look at, at Will Butchers. So hopefully uh, Denver will make it to the Frozen Four and we'll be able to actually see him on national TV so I can finally yes. get a look. And Yes, yes. When do those sorts of games happen? Like, is that a couple of weeks? Oh, no, no, no. It's it. Well, yeah, the, the championship game is um, on April 11th. Okay. Um, the Frozen Four, April 7th. So um, we've got our, you know, the games today, and then you've got um, a 10 day, almost two weeks before they play the the final set of games. So, yeah, right. April Look. 7th. Yeah, April 7th is Frozen Four, and April 11th is the championship game. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing JT Comfort catch an ELC. And, uh yeah. Hopefully he can start acclimating to the AHL game as I rapidly lose my voice here. <laughs> All right, moving on. Next subject. <clears throat> Next subject is death to trees. They make me lose my voice. <laughs> All right. So as the season has, uh, has dragged on, we've seen all kinds of different reasons thrown out there for what might be going wrong. Um, the, the main issues that you see brought up are how poor the team's shot generation and suppression numbers are, how poor they are in leading situations, um, the va- the vague systems accusations that often don't come with any substance. Come come on, guys, you can you can explain what you mean when you say that, and 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 please do because you may not be wrong. Um, so what do you what would you say are some of the biggest problems the team has faced this season? And uh, and maybe which ones have not been such big problems that people might think they are. Um, I'll, uh, a um, a plug for BSN and for for me for tomorrow. I actually have an article talking about some of this um, about what some some 
rarely mentioned things that I think are missing. But um, looking at what people do talk about, um, you know, systems and the shot suppression go hand in hand. And I, I, I get Waz's philosophy. I don't think it's working. I think that he needs to to reevaluate the idea of um, we're we're not as worried about how many shots we we let toward the net, just the quality of them. Um, I think that needs to be revisited because it's not working. He has a. Um, he has his own approach. He has his own faith in in goaltending as it is, but you can't rely that much on your goaltender. And you're just gonna you're gonna wear Varley out if if that continues to happen. And I think we saw some of that this year. I think we saw um, Varley buckle a little bit under the pressure of of being the reason whether the Avs would be in a game or not in a game. And so I do think that. Yeah, and I know it's a that vague systems thing that you're talking about. Um, I don't know systems enough to give you a concrete example of what should be done, but I do know that 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 there needs to be more concentration on stopping the shot to begin with, not just keeping the shot to the outside or in a low percentage area, or blocking it, or blocking it. Yeah. There's there's two problems that I have with specifically shot blocking, which the Avalanche do lead the league in by a very wide margin, and that's not just because they give up a lot of shots. They they block a higher percentage of shots against them than most teams do. Um, there's the first problem is that you don't know where that shot's going after it hits yes, you. Exactly. It Ugh. could go to the boards. It could go in. To the crease. It could go yes. off of you into the net. It could go directly yes. to a wide open shooter. Agreed. I yeah, that that's been my biggest problem with shot blocking since day one. I'm uh yeah. And number two? Number two is that you are not putting any pressure on the opponents at all. Good point. You're saying, Go ahead, shoot. I'll just stand here. Yeah. You're giving them time and space. You are not aggressively pursuing the puck to, you know, get it back and get it out of the zone like you see teams that we struggle against, like Winnipeg, Minnesota, and L.A. do. Mm-hmm. St. Louis. Um, that's a, Shot blocking basically makes your defense play like they're on a penalty kill at 5v5. Well, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that I find so ironic is that... They're better and more aggressive on a penalty kill. They don't just stand around trying blocking shots on a penalty kill. They they put more pressure on the other team when they're on a PK than when they do 5v5. And I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. It helps that they can ice the puck on the PK. That, that doesn't hurt. That is true. That um, is true. So... From a coaching perspective, do we know who is in charge of defensive systems versus who's in charge of penalty killing systems? Um, no, I don't. I can make a guess at it, but I wouldn't be positive. I, 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 yeah, 
I know that there's been, you know, but the the goddammit Dave Farish meme kind of died back in December, but he, he took a lot of heat for the way Colorado played defense at the beginning of the season for a lot of fans, um, which is partially because what they do sure looks like Dave Farish's Toronto Maple, Maple Leafs. Ma- Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of that same sort of system of, hey, don't let it get to the goaltender by stopping it before it gets there. Yeah. Why not not let it get to the goaltender by not letting them have a chance to get it there? Right. So, that's my issue with the with the shot blocking thing. And um, the the issue with relying on goaltending, I think, is very simple. Even if your goaltender does stop everything, he's not going to absorb everything. Right. We know from the scoring chance data that's out there um, that rebound chances are extremely dangerous. They have a very high chance of going in as opposed to, say, uh, just a straight-up shot from anywhere on the ice. Yeah. Goalie's mid-save. He can't react as quickly because he's still recovering his positioning. Um it's not always very predictable, no matter how much of a finish style you try to play. Um, where the Finnish goalies do really work hard to keep the puck blocked to the outside. Um, it's just, it's not reliable for a lot of reasons, the things that this team continues to try to do. Yep. Yep, yep. How do you fix it is going to take someone smarter than me. Um, and much smarter than me. But its I don't think it's hard to say what not to do when it's so clearly not working. Because we can see yeah. the results of it not working. We can see why it's not working. But saying be aggressive or be, be more aggressive is probably a little bit too easy. Well, of course. I mean, that's not going to be the the answer. I don't think there is one answer with this team. Um, and I, that's a trap I think a lot of people may fall into that, oh, change the coach, everything will be fine. Oh, change the systems, everything's going to be fine. Oh, change the def- defense, it's all going to be fine. No, it's not. You, there are multiple layers of problems to this team. And the saddest part about it is that a core talent is not one of the problems. The core is good. I mean, can be scary good. It's the complimentary players, especially on the defense. I'm actually quite happy with the offense now. Um, I, I, I would love to see um, this team with uh, more than two and a half defensemen <laughs> that can really play the game. Um, it's a new the new CBS sitcom, I think. I'm sorry? It's the new CBS sitcom. <laughs> two and a half defensemen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think the talent is for the most part there. And I think talent wise, this team is one or two pieces away from what it needs to be. Maybe, you know, three pieces, you know, away or something like that. Maybe not quite one person, but that philosophy of just a couple pieces of way, but it's, that's not alone going to make this a contender. Now, Colorado has the same holes everybody has. Um, they need, like, one more top six scoring player. They need 
one more top defenseman. They need... I don't even know if they need one more average defenseman. I would like it. I'd like one more top defenseman and one more <coughs> average defenseman. That's the, what I would like. The reason those things cost so much is everybody needs them. Exactly. Exactly. Those are the kind of pieces that if you don't draft and develop, you need to get in free agency. And there are too many other things wrong with the team that are going to make it very attractive to most free agents. And then we've uh, we've beaten the issue of how the team plays differently with a lead to death on this show. Um, <laughs> I've kind of put a moratorium on that, just like I kind of put a moratorium on whining about Bodnar Shuck. Um, <laughs> but the, it's the same things that we've just talked about, only to the extreme. They stop trying to exit the zone and just throw it out and hope to get off the ice. Right. And God... Line changes are still a problem. Oh my gosh, the line changes yesterday. It's what almost April. Those? It's it almost was... April. <laughs> okay, so you're without Duchesne, you're without McKinnon. They've been in the lineup basically all year. That's going to throw a wrench in things. Okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt for a while. You can't have like 20 bad line changes in a game. Well, I mean, and even it's just... I, I don't quite understand the, this ideology of uh, the players making the change when very clearly there's a dangerous situation brewing. You can see the other team getting ready to move the puck out of their zone and do it controlled, not just, you know, chip it out or anything. They're, they're very clearly setting up for a controlled exit. and you've got one four checker going in and you've got some, you've got them set up for, for a long pass out of the zone. One four checker is not going to help you. Why are the other four players changing on the fly right then? I mean, like wholesale change, you can't do that. And I don't know if it's this, if it's was like whistle system that, you know, he whistles. And so they feel like, I've got to get off now because Wad just told me to. Or if you would think that these players, after so, you can tell I'm passionate about this, you could think that these players, <laughs> having played for so long, would have an idea of, I'm going to look up ice before I go for the change to make sure that there isn't going to be this long stretch pass out of the zone to create an on man rush. I just don't. I, it seems so basic to me, and I don't know, is that coaching, or is it the players, or I, I, don't, I don't understand. It's, it's baffling, and uh, we've, we've seen the just kind of Pavlovian response that Wah has built into his team to that whistle, but it's not always the whistle. You can't always hear the whistle. Well, we can't. They might be able to. Yeah, it's probably different on the ice, I suppose. But sometimes yeah, you can even hear that thing on TV. Oh, it's damn loud. It is damn loud. I mean, listening to it in practice, you know, when you're you're there and you're in the stands there at the practice facility, you can hear it clear as day. So I have no doubt that anywhere on that ice, those players can hear him. Uh, speaking of loud in the stands... Um, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. I, I've heard that it was not as bad as it sounded on TV on Saturday. 
at least until the game got, you know, out of control. But, but, yeah. but early, it sounded like a wild home game on TV. Oh, don't talk about it. It just grease. Oh, my God. But people were telling me it didn't sound that bad in person. Maybe the microphones just happened to be near a big group of wild fans. I mean, that's then. possible. I mean, were you at the game yesterday? No. Oh, hell no. I don't go to wild games unless it's open. <laughs> Don't There's blame no you. way there. Uh, actually, this this season, I remember giving in and getting tickets to the wild game that was the 20th anniversary night. And I'm just, I was pissed that the Avs chose that team Seriously. to have that night on because I don't, I don't go to wild games because of that, because of the cheering. And it's not, it, it's disrespectful cheering. Um, in my opinion, if I go into another team's barn, which I have done for most of my life, because I, you know, living in California, being an Avs fan, obviously I'm going into, into Honda center or, or Staples center to go watch a game, watch my team. And I cheer when they do something good. I cheer during their, um, you know, after a goal, but I don't try and start an avalanche chant. You just don't do they're just a lack of respect in another person's barn i don't know there's a lot of people that say you know screw that that if they can create that kind of antagonistic environment it's only going to be better for their own team to create a home barn feel but i don't know but i have more respect philly did it too like oh yeah i, I can see I that one because it's philadelphia is probably not a big draw um, amongst Avalanche fans, but there's probably displaced Philly fans in Denver, and it's a weeknight game, so it's easier to get a hold of tickets. Oh, it's easy to get a hold of tickets for Avs games. I know, but, but easier. I, it's it's a common thing. It's not it's not one team over another. It used to be you had your handful of teams like the Wild and the Hawks and Philly um, and uh, Pittsburgh that brought in a big contingency of opposing fans. It's now surprising to me to go into a game and not see 30%, minimum 30%, 40% of the stands opposing team. It's, it's insane. And I don't, <clears throat> I don't know the reason I think about it all the time, why that is. And I think it goes beyond the tickets being easy to get, or, you know, the avalanche not being, this um, sellout team and stuff like that. I think it goes beyond it. I think it taps into one of the big complaints that native Coloradans have of all these people moving into their state. And I mean, we had 18,000, Denver had 18,000 people move in in the last year. Colorado is an awesome and diverse place and Denver is an amazing city. So yeah. You guys should take that as a compliment, even if it is annoying. You no, know, it is. It absolutely is a compliment. Just, it's just rough when you're watching a game and, you know, the team loses. You know, Avalanche lose or they give up four goals and stuff like that to hear, to feel like you're in the other team's barn when it's yours. It's tough. Yeah, you can't even boo the team off the ice because the opposing fans are too loud for that. Right. Um. So... Lots of things went wrong this year. Um, I was... I wish this dog would stop making that noise. I'm trying to mute as much as I possibly can here. <laughs> um, 
I, it was amazing to see that Colorado were, apart from Columbus, probably the worst team for the first month of the season. And it was pretty easy to say, well, they're done, because they right. were so far behind. But they battled back. Yes, they did. And put themselves into a position to where, coming into this week, their chances were decent. Right. Minnesota have won five straight. That kind of helps put a damper on things, but, I mean, that all when you look all the way back to that road trip over the last couple of weeks through Canada, um, they had put themselves in a position to pick up some points and gain some ground, which they, they did. Yeah, they put um, themselves in a position to possibly catch, to catch the Predators. They had an outstanding December to go back in the race. Thank you, Varley. Um, which is... Probably fitting because he had an atrocious start to the season. Yeah. Um, it just, it's been a ride. It's, it's not like uh, past losing seasons where they've just steadily floundered towards the bottom. This year was closer. Despite all the systemic issues we see night in, night out, they're right on the bubble. Yeah. Yep, for sure. You know, and, and to to get into positives, you know, what what did go well this season, the penalty kill has just been a thing of beauty, especially lately. Gabe Landeskog has been a monster on the penalty kill. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. It's just been it's been such a pleasure to watch, especially after so many years of the PK being so pathetic to see them. They got Marc-Andre Cliche off it. That helps. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's, been, it's been a thing of beauty. I've really enjoyed it. It's one of the things I look forward to. I'm like, okay, great. That's okay. They can take a penalty. I have no problem with that because I have every confidence in this penalty kill. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be beautiful to watch. Yeah. They, the penalty kill has been really good this year. Um, Matt Duchesne approaches 30 goals. Uh, he With this knee injury, his, there's a... Dude, prob- I mean, he may or may not get there, but he's definitely had his best season short of the lockout season where he was a point a game. Yeah. Um, he, he's had a really good all-around season. Um, Calvin Pickard has come into his own this season. Oh, yeah, he has. My boy. Love that guy. Uh, me too. It's been great to see the Avalanche develop a goaltender. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when the hell does that happen? I don't think the Avalanche have ever developed a goaltender, have they? Um, probably not. They <laughs> they inherited one when they moved, um, and then they struggled until they traded for one. Yeah, it's been it, it, he and he's just a great guy. Oh my gosh, he's just such a great guy. Yeah, he seems to it, be. He's just he's a joy to interview. Um, so friendly, so considerate, uh, and just, just adorable. Gosh, he's so cute. <laughs> just a great personality. It's great to see him not just not come into his own just on the ice, but, um, as a professional, um, and, and you know, growing into you know, being a man in the league and stuff. It's been, it's been neat to watch that. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll obviously get more into postmortem stuff on a later episode. I just thought it would be really important to balance some of the uh, some of the negative here with there's there's been 
good signs this year as well. Yeah, there has. There absolutely has. And I think that resiliency, I had written, again, plugging BSN, but not too long ago I wrote an article about the Avalanche's resiliency. And, you know, like you, you were saying, they were definitely in this thing not too long ago. A week ago they were very, very in it. And after starting the way they did in October, I think people really need to look at that and to, to say that they do have character. They do have heart. They wouldn't have been able to do what they did if they didn't have those things, you know? And don't think we've forgotten about Tyson Berry. He definitely showed he's for real this year. Um, oh yeah. He's still top 10 in the NHL and, you know, points and assists and those kinds of things. He may never be Eric Carlson, but he is a very good player, and the Avalanche are very fortunate to have him on board. Yes, for sure. So let's see how much he gets paid. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. I, you know, some people have already been talking um, that, well, I've heard rumors and, you know, rumors are rumors, but that the Avs are already preparing themselves for a um, – a difficult time in getting that thing signed. And this is, again, this is rumors I've read on the internet. This is not any kind of personal source. So don't think that I'm saying, Oh, I have somebody who said this. There are times when I have that. This is not one of them. This is just reading on the internet and I don't, uh, you know, I could see it. I didn't think that that would be the case in the past, but he had such a phenomenal uh, gear again that I, I think that they're, he's going to want to get paid. And he's been creating things himself. Yes. <clears throat> Last yes. year he had a uh, a pretty inflated on-ice shooting percentage that made me think, okay, we'll see what happens this year. Um, and we saw. Yeah. <clears throat> so, lots of lights yeah. and uh, in, in the tunnel. And also, after he came back from injury, Eric Johnson has continued to be mostly great. Uh, sometimes baffling, but mostly great. Yeah, I love EJ. He is finally showing why he was picked first overall. I, I, you know, I still question whether he should have been, you know, first overall, but he's definitely a top five draft pick. So there's what two weeks left? Something like that. There yeah. are games eight ish of them against very good opponents. Yes. Um, so, obviously, we're not going to stop watching. Um, we may watch differently. What will you be watching for for the rest of this season? Um, I one of the good things about about feeling like the season, as far as the postseason is over, is being able to just sit down and enjoy the game again. Um, I am interested in watching. Zdorov and uh, seeing what sort of consistency, if any, he can bring to his game now. Um, I'm interested in seeing uh, Johnson again. What does what does he do in the face of such a mountain of you know get of actually getting that playoff spot because it's still mathematically possible? How does that affect his game um what happens with Landeskog? there's been been some time there's been moments especially recently where i feel he's lost his 
a little bit of control. And I'd like to see him pull that back in and, uh, and focus on being a hockey player and then on ice later instead of a, I'm going to personally try to change a game with a questionable hit kind of guy. <laughs> yep. um, um, so I'm looking at that. Uh, I'm excited about Ags, you know, Agazino coming back in. He's always fun to watch. And I am looking to see how much Wall plays Pickard going through the end. When Wall starts playing Pickard, that's when Wall has has thrown it in because he right. will he will play Varlamov into the ground until the playoffs are totally gone. Exactly, Do, it doesn't matter if they're traveling to St. Louis and then traveling to Nashville the next day or whichever order it's in to play again. It will not be Pickard if he thinks Colorado has any chance. Exactly. So that's why I'm curious to see when he's when and if he starts playing picks. Right. Because that will that right there says he's given up mm-hmm. for the season. And we know how Wa feels about doing that. <laughs> um, what about uh, you? What are you looking for? A lot of the same things. Um, I'm I'm looking for more of a just a less clenchy, more fun kind of hockey. Um, I've I'm a big Agazino fan. I I've loved watching him with the Monsters when they came to Oklahoma City several times when Oklahoma City still had a team and before the monsters became their rampage. The uh, the monsters are still there. They're just not our monsters anymore. They're Columbus's <laughs> monsters. Um, but I've, I've always enjoyed watching him play at the AHL level uh, because he was great there. Um, and I feel like he's never really... He's he had a couple of games here and there, the NHL, and never really shown a whole lot. But it's I still I like I want like rooting for the guy and I want to see what he's what he's gonna bring. If Duchesne comes back, I want him to hit thirty goals, please. Oh yeah, for Do sure. It. Uh, that'll pro- that might be his main motivating factor to finish out the season. Um, I would probably shut McKinnon down. Um, so hopefully we won't see any more of him, and that'll also affect contract negotiations. So I could easily see the team doing that. Right. Um, and then I also want to see what the defensive pairings shake out to being as the year closes out. Um, I just, as we were talking, I saw Luke Steer talking about this on Twitter. Um, whether, where we see Big Raw played in the defensive pairings, who's a door off ends up with, whether we start to see Boschman's ice time finally drop. Um, that, that's something that we left out of the what's gone wrong section. He's gotten steadily worse throughout the season yeah, as he's played 25 plus minutes a night, which yeah. no one could have predicted. <laughs> um, he's not Ryan Suter. Stop no. it. Yeah. So I, yeah. I want to see if Waugh goes with more of a future look defensive pairings to end the season, or if he continues playing his same pairings that he's had. I mean, we started to see it shuffle a lot. Uh, against Minnesota, the the D pairings were different pretty much every shift. It looked like, but uh, I want to see if he settles down to more time for Bigra, um, a steadier partner for Zadorov because he has played better with guys like Gennon than he has with guys like Barry, um, and so forth. Right, future looking things. Yeah, and I think that that's also um, a signal that he is done for this season that he is looking ahead um just like you know playing picks starting to fiddle around with those pairings at this point in the season means that he's not playoff bound in his mind 
And he didn't have to call up a defenseman. That's that's why we're we're looking at Zadorov in that way. There's as far as yeah. we know, there's there's no reason to call him up other than you want him to be with the team. Right. So Which is again so interesting because he so recently said he didn't want to do that. Yep. So this week in Avs uh, starts on Monday. Colorado travel to Nashville for a six o'clock start against the Predators. Followed up on Tuesday in St. Louis with a 6.30 start against the Blues. That one is national. That's on not versus. And then March is over. Well done, March. You have decided the season like we kind of figured you might. On Friday, the Washington Capitals come to town. Go watch Ovechkin. Go watch Kuznetsov. Go watch Backstrom. Go watch Holtby. I will be. I will be. Thank you. Uh, I... It's been good to see Kuznetsov start to get the co- the coverage and the national media that he deserves. That kid is fantastic. 7 o'clock altitude. Um, and then on Sunday, the St. Louis Blues come to town for another national game. 6 o'clock mountain on NBC Sports. And I will be watching that one, too. In person. Well, you have fun with those. I will. Well, it's a really interesting as I had a bunch of bids for on flash seats for the last game of the season because I hadn't gotten my tickets yet, you know, against the Ducks. And last night after the loss, I said, nope, screw it. I'm not spending the money, and I retracted all my bids. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see. You know, that night, if, you know, that day, if there are still tickets available and I can, you know, snag some decent ones for 20, 30 bucks, I might still go, but yeah, probably not. Uh, just to follow up real quickly on our picker conversation from a minute ago, uh, Earl06, he's at McKinley06 on Twitter, this has just tweeted out his usual reminder that Jack Campbell was drafted 38 spots ahead of Calvin Pickard. Yeah, guys, don't, you can't, can't, you know, criticize Jack Campbell. You just can't do it because <laughs> Jack Campbell's dad is going to call you up or send you an email and say, why do you speak about my son that way? Well, I'll uh, I'll look forward to seeing <laughs> what kind of response Earl gets from the elder Campbell. Absolutely. Now it was really funny. I you know during years ago during a um, World Junior Championship, I was covering the all the games and mentioned just one critique. You know, Campbell, he's doing great. Blah 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 blah. I just he's just not very good at handling the puck behind his own net. And boy, Daddy immediately emailed me. I mean, it was within an hour of that thing going live that Dang. Daddy emailed me. And I was like, sorry, Pops. It's true, though. <laughs> Tell him to stay in his net. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, so, yeah. It's been fun. It has. Thanks for joining me. And and thanks to everyone out there listening in listener land for joining us as well. Um both throughout the season and today. Um, you can always catch the latest new abs news and updates at milehighhockey.com and also on BSN Denver, where you can catch Cheryl and AJ and Cole and a whole bunch of other faces you'll remember from Mile High Hockey not that long ago. Um, follow the podcast on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, and on iTunes, where you can have it automatically downloaded straight into your ear holes every, usually Monday, sometimes not Monday, usually Monday. Um... Not a whole lot left going on this season, so don't miss your last few chances to catch some really great NHL hockey, and we will see you next week.
and go watch the Frozen 4. I, I almost forgot, and then I was like, well, I don't want to talk over Bob Cole. <laughs>